Go big or go small. You just can't go home. That sounded so much cooler in my head. Screw it. You're listening to Second Print Comics. I am the rambling man himself, Remzo Martinez, and we're bringing you today Ant-Man Season 1, the original graphic novel story from Marvel Comics, written by Tom DeFalco. We couldn't continue this epic saga of the world's mightiest, smallest hero without the Miracle Maker, the, the Decider. They call him El Blanco Diablo down south. The miraculous <laughs> Mr. Mark Clare. Mark, how is Florida? Florida is great. I am here uh, podcasting from an Airbnb closet. This is how much I love you people. And I got to say, I think um, it sounded better in our head. Should be the subtitle for this for this entire podcast. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really works with, with. It really sums up everything about this podcast. I would say. However, though, I hope it does all sound better in your head, in your earbuds, each and every week here. Every Wednesday on SBC, when I hope to encourage you all to check us out anywhere and everywhere you can on Twitter, on Instagram. We are always at Second Print Pod. We, of course, also love those five star ratings, those great reviews on Apple Podcasts. Those are sweet. And if you really, really love us, want to help me as I traverse the universe here from country to country, from Airbnb to Airbnb, as I have a a crazy month ahead of me, you can do so by helping us out at Patreon on patreon.com slash second print pod. And we don't just beg for your money, though we do beg for your money. We don't just beg for your money. We beg for your money and we deliver you amazing content. Like you've had Moon Knight recaps. You've had What Mark Missed featuring my dive into the ultimate Fantastic Four. We have a Doctor Strange recap uh, that will, well, by the time you hear this, it'll be very close to being published for our patrons, I would say. Something like that. And I already did a non-spoiler instant reaction to Doctor Strange. I'm not going to say anything else about it because I want to keep things clean for those that haven't seen it yet. But that's it, Ramso. I'm ready to boogie. Well, I have just completed the second season of Remzo versus the MCU Phase 2. That will be airing every Sunday starting now. So if you go on Patreon now, you can listen to the first one where I cover Iron Man 3, and this will take us through uh, mid-June every Sunday. Some short some short sound bites For those of you that don't remember um, Remzo versus the MCU Phase 1, what I'm basically doing is I'm taking each of the Marvel movies phase by phase, and I'm you know, basically being the, 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 you know, the armchair director, the, you know, the, the, the backbench quarterback, so to speak. And I am basically saying if I could do anything, if I had, if I could like Thanos snap my reality and remake the Marvel films, which is the only thing I would do if I could control all of reality, what would change? What would I change? What stuff would I change? How would it affect other future movies, these characters? Because there's a lot of things about the Marvel films I absolutely love. And then there's stuff like, Age of Ultron that I don't love. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that as a as a fan of many years, as somebody that's been in the, you know, in, in television and in, uh, you know, creative projects, books and everything else, I have some of those juices just run through me where it's like, I think I could have done better than Joss Whedon. So if you want to hear how I would change the MCU phase by phase, you can go ahead and check out Remzo versus the MCU fa- uh, phase two on Patreon today. Indeed, indeed. Just... One of so many reasons to toss us at least five bucks a month. You can toss more. There's plenty more you can toss us at greater and greater levels. And you can even produce an episode of this show like our Kirby Club patrons get to do. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash second print pod. Shall we boogie on this Ant-Man story? Let's go down that ant tunnel, which also just, I mean, it sounded quippy. 
Like shit, I'm I'm done. I'm yeah, done again. It always sounds better in our head. In your head. I'm not. I'm not going to do the Ant Man puns. So we we were we, we were preparing for this episode uh, a couple weeks ago, and we decided that we we're going to do Ant Man season one. I had actually yesterday when I did the uh, Remzo versus the MCU Ant Man episode, it it it, ma- it made me think a lot. And one of the first things it made me think of was I like this book so much better than I like the movie. I love comic book Ant Man, Scott Lang. Hank Pym, Eric O'Grady, all those guys. I love the comic book Ant-Man. I have never been a fan of the comic of the MCU version of Ant-Man, which is kind of a disappointment because the book we're reading today is actually my favorite Ant-Man story. So if, you know, if you're listening to this, it's kind of a spoiler of how I'm going to grade this. This is my favorite Ant-Man story, and if you're also a patron, you're going to get to hear me really shit on the first Ant-Man movie, which was the final Ant-Man, uh, which I'm sorry, which was the final film to end phase two on a note that I felt was just kind of weird. So before we get started, Mark, this is the first time we've actually covered Ant-Man in any prolonged length. What were your thoughts on it as somebody who's been reading comics for many years? Has Ant-Man always been on your roster of he's a cool guy or was he one of those characters like for many people where we just kind of looked at him and said, Oh, look, there's the guy who can shrink sometimes. Who's only cool when he gets big. To be honest, Ant-Man has never even been in my, in my thoughts until the MCU, to be honest. Like I, I knew he existed. He's been part of Avengers teams on and off that I've read. Um, I, I think I actually like giant man more. I like when he grows really big, uh, but he's just a character that's always been there for me. Um, and not and unlike some other characters that, are similar in the sense that I never really read their books regularly, like Doctor Strange, Blade, Ghost Rider, even Moon Knight. Those are characters that, while I never read their books like really consistently, I always thought, oh shit, this character's so cool. I, it's so cool they disappeared in this episode. I never really thought that way about Ant-Man, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I don't want to spoil my thoughts on this story, but, you know, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, when I, when I really started reading the books, Hank Pym was, was a yellow jacket which I think is probably my favorite Hank Pym persona. Eric O'Grady. Is that when he kind of went bad? He went bad, but then he came back and was good as Yellow Jacket. Yeah, and it was fine. Yeah, because he had a he had like a, a, a I'm an alcoholic spousal abuse phase, didn't he? Hank Pym? When he became Yellow Jacket the first time, he was he, he was he was a villain, but he was also mind controlled by Ultron. So it wasn't really Hank Pym. And then these things happen. And then he retired from being a superhero and was just dr hank pym for like 20 years and then when he wanted when they wanted him to be a superhero again they just made him yellow jacket so which is i think if you're gonna be any of those personas yellow jacket was my favorite but eric o'grady was the irredeemable ant-man uh that was like their r-rated attempt at an ant-man book which i think was hilarious i i, I love that series i did enjoy that one you, you put me onto that one too and i, I did like that, that was a ton of fun and scott lang was dead so you know that that was about it like ant-man was around but you know it was it's not the flavor we get through the paul rudd book but anyway today's book is well when it when in doubt the mcu just defaults to comedy you know so i think they're like well we have this character ant-man i don't really know how to make him interesting we we don't want to that'll take a little too much creativity so let's just get paul rudd and make him comedy 
that that seems like what they do when when they're not exactly sure where to go with things. And I will say, I get your criticisms of Ant-Man and MCU. And as Ant-Man, he's probably not that great. But I like Paul Rudd and he brings me comedy relief. And I generally enjoy his appearances. So maybe we differ there. But I, I'll agree it doesn't accurately at all represent the character in the comics. Well, I, I definitely like to hear your thoughts on that remark when we get to the end of the book. This book holds a special place yeah. in my heart. When I was at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, going through basic, we could receive mail sometimes. And my uncle Brody got the address for the, for the company I was attached to, uh, Delta Company, 3rd Platoon. Yeah, that was it. Delta Company, 3rd Platoon. He got my address, and he mailed me a comic. Um, and it was this book. It was an original graphic novel called Ant-Man Season 1. And I read it, and I don't know if it was because I hadn't read comic books in weeks at that point or because I just really liked the story. But I, I remember I read it like four or five times that entire summer. I was at Fort Knox training when I had a few moments of free time. And uh, it, it's just it holds a lot of sentimental value for me, especially since I wasn't expecting him to pick Ant-Man of all things. But I've read almost all the Season 1 books, and this is probably my favorite. Uh, but Marvel Season 1 was a original graphic novel series that uh, Marvel put out. And what their whole intention was to do was basically you've got all these fans who were coming into comics through the movies, but they don't want to go back and read books from the 1960s. They, they want like an updated quick synopsis of who these characters are and how it kind of fits into the regular Marvel continuity. So they could pick up a Season 1 book and then jump into the main series that's being published at the time, and they can know everything they need to know and feel comfortable. Uh, so this was treated, all these season one books, for a, for a time, they were treated as continuity until Marvel was like, yeah, they're not continuity. So whether you want to believe it's continuity or not is entirely up to you. With all the retcons and remakes and reboots and reboot retcons, prequel sequels, it's all about what you like and, and what you don't like. So reading this, this was supposed to be the new canon origin of Ant-Man. Uh, Mark, I know how I that was going to be my first question. Is this is this the new origin or is it just like a here's an alternate origin? It matters if you like it. If you don't like it, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. And some some writer will tweak it down the road anyway. So, you know, take it if you like it. I guess that's how that's probably that's how we should look at all these reworked origins, I guess. Take it if you like it. If you liked it better how it was before, keep that as your headcanon. Because at the end of the day, the only canon that matters is our headcanon. Which really should be the name of our podcast someday. Maybe, we should maybe. change the name. I've always been a fan of that name. Um, but yeah, like I, I read a uh, Iron Man season one, Fantastic Four season one, Daredevil season one was very good. I think so. This is like a thing. This is a this is a, a, a here's our new origins for all these things. Then. Yeah, Avengers, X Men, everybody, and they were they actually brought on some some pretty good writers for that. Like I, I've always liked Tom DeFalco. I know a lot of people don't like him, but when they had him write an Ant Man book, I was like, ah, this is. I they they're obviously pulling in like good talent to do this. Yeah, Tom DeFalco is um he's like an old hand at Marvel. He's been around for a long time and he was actually the writer of the Fantastic Four when I first started reading that book, the very first book that I started reading regularly. So I, I have a, a warm place in my heart for Tom DeFalco. He's what you would call a steady hand. If, if this were baseball, he'd be like, um, he'd be like, you know, a, a pitcher you can always rely on for seven innings. He'll give up three or four runs, but he'll give you those seven innings every single time. He's going to put in the work and give you something average maybe above average and acceptable, but never garbage. You know, so that, that's how I see Tom DeFalco. Yeah. So when, when they put him on this book and I saw his name on the cover, I was just like, oh, he's going to do a good job. 
So, yeah, I mean, th- this whole season one thing, it only lasted for about a year. They did all the the major characters and teams they could think of, and then it just kind of went wayside. So some people say it's a failure uh, because they never did like season two, season threes. But that, you know, I think they missed the point that this was never supposed to be an ongoing thing. This was supposed to be a one and done deal for primarily new comic book readers. And even as somebody that knew all the origins that had been collecting the comics and stuff for years, I still really enjoyed it. I think sometimes with certain characters and certain titles, we love them, but the love kind of dissipates through time. And moments like this, where you can just reimagine what you loved about the characters in the series to begin with, they, they remind you why it was there to begin with. And you get to bring back all those nostalgic memories. Indeed. Yeah. So, on to Ant-Man, season one. We start in Budapest, and we see a very young Dr. Hank Pym. He's at a restaurant with his wife, Maria Pym. I think a lot of people neglect the fact that Hank Pym was not only the first Ant-Man, but prior to Janet Van Dyne, who would be the Wasp, uh, they, they would both bec- you know become prominent characters in the first issue of The Avengers, but I think they also started in uh, Strange Adventures, or no, not Strange Adventures, Tales of Suspense or something. Amazing stories. One of those like offshoot uh, Marvel books, like Amazing Fantasy and stuff like that. They they originated there, but that real origin had just kind of been ignored. So the fact that they're going way back into Ant Man lore for this, I thought was kind of cool. But we see a young Hank Pym. He's uh, about to you know have a nice dinner with his wife Maria, and then suddenly an explosion occurs, and the restaurant has been bombed. We see. It happens a lot in Budapest, huh? <laughs> Bombings in Budapest. Well, you know, when you're in Budapest wearing a suit, it embodies that of like a James Bond film. So, you know, someone's going to die. Yeah. For sure. And somebody does. Fancy party in Budapest. Bad idea. So, somebody does. And like the, the series also, like I think one of the issues with the marketing for season one is because they were marketing it towards new readers. I think they also wanted to market it younger which I also think harmed it because not all the stuff in here you would typically find in like a generic, like all age rated comic because here we're on the second page and we already see one dude who's being impaled through the chest through a piece of rubble <laughs> right behind Hank Pym. And it's like, that is not for children. That is uh that, that is a man who has just been murdered and you see his face and it's just like, this is a freaking terrorist attack. So they, they don't even hide the fact that yeah, shit is down. So Hank Pym has just, um, you know, been, been been covered in rubble. He gets up, he starts screaming, Maria! And then what we see is the panels transition from him remembering that night six months ago in Budapest to him being in the um, uh, room of a therapist where basically he has this therapist saying, hey, man, listen, like, I know you can't sleep, you can't function, you can't do this stuff. It's survivor's guilt. And it's more common than you think, Hank. Um, you've suffered a terrible loss, and this is why you're, you're having a hard time recovering. So he's talking about you know, how much he misses his wife, Maria. She was another scientist. She basically helped him become the confident scientist he is today, and he doesn't know if he can move on without her. So while he's going ahead and having a conversation with this, um, uh, with, with this therapist, he's like, you know what? Like, I, I just have this giant cloud over my head i'm trapped in this giant web of what ifs and might have beens i just want her murders captured and punished and at this point um the therapist is like well you know they they're gonna catch these terrorists that's who the the authorities and the media have blamed for it some unnamed terrorist group they're, they're gonna get them you're a scientist you're not a superhero 
you just have to move on, Hank. So while Hank is just trying to understand, you know, like, how do I process this? We hear somebody kicking at the door and we hear this screaming, get out of my way. I demand to see my son. The next thing you know, it ends up being Warren Pym, Hank's father. And he's like, gather your things, Henry. This nonsense ends now, which is not healthy. You can't interrupt someone's therapy session. It's not healthy at all. Terrible. Terrible father. Absolutely. I mean, he's... He, he he just he just really embodies like that dickish dad who's like you don't have depression you need to eat more steaks. It's pretty much the archetype dad of every single comic book character origin. Like I think every, almost every comic book character seems to have an asshole dad at least, or they're orphans. I mean, one or the other. But uh, anyway, uh, Warren Pin comes in and he's like, "I'm the man who's been paying the bills for Henry's care. The check stopped today." We need you back at Egghead Innovations. We may have lost Maria, but you're still salvageable. My God, he's treating him like a freaking, like, product or something. It's just, like, that's just the most toxic father you can imagine. And they lay it on pretty thick. Even the next panel, you see him having a flashback of his father. He basically did the same thing to, uh, to uh, Hank's mother. You see a flashback of many years ago where the father is basically kicking out his mom. And he's like, you've disappointed me for the last time, Margaret. Henry and I will do just fine without you. He reminds me of uh, of Lois's father from Family Guy. You know, you know that guy. He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. of course. Well, yeah. When I think of this dude's voice, I think of I think of the father from Family Guy. But I'm trying to like picture it, but I, I know the I know the character you're talking about. Why are black people in this hey, school? You, 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 we need to go back to the good old days. He's one of the people that would say something like that. There, there's our cold open. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, um, uh, Warren is basically dragging Henry out of there. In our ongoing attempt to get canceled, we just can't seem to do There's it. There's so much politics in this show. <laughs> do I have to put a gong in here again? Oh my gosh. Anyway, so, um, Warren is an investor at, uh, Star, at Star Innovations, where it's basically run by this guy named Elias Star. Elias Star is, a is the villain Egghead, as some people might know. He had a brief appearance in Ant-Man and the Wasp, in which he's the ghost's father in that film, and he's quickly killed. But uh, Elias Star Egghead is basically Ant-Man's big archenemy, who was an Avengers villain for a bit, and then I think they killed him because he was stupid, and I haven't seen him in like 20 years. So at this point, they basically established that uh, Warren is funding Star's research, and Star is basically like a mentor to uh hank as well as well the the now deceased maria but they're working on these pim particles which are basically particles that will go ahead and provide enormous potential and health and manufacturing and all this other stuff it's this miracle compound that as fans of the mcu know can go ahead and shrink down the molecular size of a human being while not destroying them from the inside out. And what's better is that that person maintains their regular full-size human strength. So they can get big, they can get small, pimp particles can do it all. Wait, don't you not want your regular si- your regular human strength when you get big? Because he's stronger when he's, ant- when he's giant man, but he's the same strength when he's ant man. That's an interesting inconsistency. They don't get into that in this, in this series. No, but- I that yeah shouldn't it be both shouldn't be either you keep the strength big and small or it shouldn't be you keep it small and you don't keep it big right i don't know i'm not i'm not a scientist we should accept the mystery because because comics i do like the little aspect here that 
that his dad named them Pim Pim Particles because his dad is the one with the ego. And Hank's like, I don't want these named after me. Like, that's weird. And his dad's like, no, we're naming them Pim Particles. And, and so I kind of like that aspect of it because it kind of removes the egotism of the name Pim Particles from from being Hank's from, you know, from from Hank. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a whole thing. But basically, we're back at uh, uh, Star Innovations. And what we see is that Dr. Star and his giant egghead, he's like obese Lex Luthor. Think of him that way. Uh, he walks out. He looks like an old boss of mine, as I think about it. Um, he, uh, he, he walks out and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about Maria. She was a valued and cherished member of our little family. And Hank is like, hey, well, you know, thank you, Mr. Star. I thank you for your assistance at the embassy and transporting Maria's remains. So at least... Um, He's he seems friendly at this part. I would compare it to almost the introduction of Obadiah Stane in the first Iron Man. Like he comes to him and you can tell they have a rapport amongst each other. And this guy is just very helpful in a professional and personal manner. So from there, uh, they go down to the lab and they go ahead and introduce uh, Hank to a new scientist named um, uh, William Foster. For fans of Ant-Man and everything else, you, a.k.a. Goliath, the Marvel. The what? Wait, no, isn't he the Blue Marvel? No. Just because he's a black oh, scientist doesn't mean he's the Blue Marvel. Hold on, who's Blue Marvel not, then? This whole time I was like, oh, that's Not Blue William Marvel. Foster. <laughs> William Foster turns out to be black. Okay, what's his name? He, well, technically they call him Black Goliath. Oh, but then yeah. they just call that's him Adam Goliath. Brashear. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Wow, that, now that's racist. Be better, Mark. <laughs> be better. But uh, any Blue Marvel is like a character they created and then acted like he was there the whole time. Something like that. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, he was. Or am I thinking of someone you're, else? You're, you're correct. Like he was important, then he wasn't important. So I th- that's why I thought they were like retconning him into existence back then. But this makes more sense. Being Goliath makes, makes way more sense. I apologize for my con- my confusing racism. Moving wow. on. So so basically, um, William Foster, Bill Foster, was hired to basically fill the place of Maria in the lab. So that way they could keep making progress on the pin particles, which they have to get out or else investors will get mad. So this is uh, hiring him as Henry's way of, um, you know, getting getting Hank back on track. So they, they go ahead and leave the lab. Henry's going to go ahead and just take a day off. And immediately his dad just proves to be even more dickish. He's like, well, now that we've got your career back on track, what about your social life? My good friend, Dr. Verdon Van Dyne, has a very beautiful daughter who, and next thing you know, Henry's just like, whoa, dad, dad, I've been a widower for six months. And his dad walks away. He's like, all right, all right. No one can say Warren Pym doesn't respect boundaries. Well, <laughs> if he's done for one thing in the last two pages, it's respecting That's boundaries. That's the number one thing he doesn't do. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, at this point, Hank. Talk about lack of self-awareness. <laughs> Hank is just like not not enjoying it and uh you know he's trying to sleep uh later that night and he immediately goes back to this memory of um maria and him basically building the old ant-man the old style ant-man helmet because it was her design so he's making the pim particles and she is the one who is actually creating the technology and she's even creating these antennas that will allow him to communicate with ants so what you see is that this is less of, oh, Dr. Pym just lost his wife in a bombing. This is more, Dr. Pym lost his wife, his best friend, and his partner all at the same time. So they're really laying this in, this, this tragic romance that they never really talk about at any time in the comics. For most people, they think that... I didn't even know it was a thing before. It is so brief, Mark, 
it's like no barely barely anybody really knows this especially with the mcu really painting janet van dyne as hank's only love interest ever maria is a specter that marvel i don't know if it was because of editorial reasons or because writers just didn't pick it up because they didn't find it was interesting because they wanted more of the ant-man the wasp dynamic but what they're really saying here is that maria wasn't just a woman who was just his wife she was everything to him and um she's she's struggling i mean i mean he's struggling to deal with it he can't sleep he's not doing well this is a difficult time for him so i really just love how in the first couple pages of this book we're not just seeing Hank Pym, the scientist. They're really trying to establish Hank Pym, the man, the person. That is something I don't think we've ever gotten, really, even in the main Marvel books. Indeed. So we, Indeed. we go back to Egghead Innovation, Star Innovations, and uh, you know Hank is basically explaining to Bill Foster how the Pym particles work and everything. And they, they seem to be getting along, and they're actually making some progress, and Henry actually seems to be doing quite well making progress but you see that he's being spied on there are these cameras in his office and who's spying on him egghead himself elias star egghead. so what ends up happening I like how he embraces the name egghead like he even named his company egghead because his head looks like a giant egg not really a flattering name but i gotta respect that he's that he's embraced it as his brand yeah it's almost like a minority embracing a racial slur Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're on that. There's like on that 72 theme. jokes I want to make right now, but I'm just gonna. I'm just know gonna the boundaries. <laughs> know the boundaries. I'll just put, I'll just insert another gong and move on. <laughs> gong. So Bill and Henry have this uh, test tube chamber where they're going to go ahead and put in a regular sized chair, and they're going to test the pin particles. And this is their first big attempt. So they go ahead and put the chair in there, and immediately the chair shrinks down to like a like a doll chair. It, it's like shit. It works. And then what they do is they reverse the compound of the pimp, of the pim particles, and they go ahead and shrink it back to its regular size. And this is the first time that we see Pim smile. He's like, "Yes, it works. I've done it." But then here's <laughs> here's where it gets really ridiculous. What they do is Star is watching this through his monitor. These two security guards come in and they're like, congratulations, Doc. And Henry's like, wait, who, who are you? What do you want? And the other guard is like, Mr. Star sends his regards. And what they do is they go ahead and... Um, We're evil security yeah, guards. Yeah, they're, they're evil security guards who are just like bossing him around. And then they just beat the shit out of him a little bit. And what they basically do is they go ahead and they take his key card so that way they can get access to everything in the lab. More than a little bit. They lay into him pretty damn pretty Yeah, damn it's good. a pretty like it's a pretty severe ass kicking. There's broken glass, like there, yeah, there's there's Yeah, so there. what they do to basically wrap it up is they're beginning to steal everything, is they go ahead and they open up that chamber and they throw Hank in there, and then what they do is they turn it on and they shrink him thinking that they're gonna um, you know, kill him. And th- this actually reminds me of Dark Man. Did you ever see Dark Man? You know, you're gonna really, really lay into me for this one. You need to see Dark Man, Man on Hulu. It's it's Sam Raimi's <laughs> first superhero flick. But basically, this guy reminds me of the oh, that's Sam Raimi. That's I Sam no Raimi, idea. dude. You need to I watch. Watched you a long need time to watch the first Dark Man with Liam Neeson, directed and written by Sam Raimi. It's perfect. I also didn't know Liam Neeson was in it. All right, I know nothing about oh, this movie. You've got to watch so, Dark okay. Man tonight. All right, I'll, I'll prioritize it. Um. So anyway, if you've seen Dark Man, this next scene looks like Dark Man. They beat the shit out of him. They throw him in the chamber they turn it on and he's screaming in agony because he's like no no please for the love of god 
And next thing you know, they they go ahead and shrink him down. He's alive, but they open the door and they immediately start trying to step on him and murder him. So his whole goal is just like running out of here. And uh, the the guards try chasing him, but they're they're not able to do it. Luckily, Hank gets out and he gets out behind this dumpster where immediately he falls down the steps and gets stuck in this giant web. And you see this giant tarantula about to eat him. And he's just screaming like, no, no. So he's running from this tarantula. This is absolutely terrifying. I can't imagine being a. I mean, I don't I'm terrified. First of all, why is there a tarantula in, in like New York City? This this kind of spider I don't think should be there. I don't know if it's actually a tarantula, but it's a it's a big scary looking sky spider. And my guy, like I I'm not scared of spiders, but my wife's always like, Oh, there's a spider coming. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I don't want to kill it. Like I'm I'm happy the spider's here, but if I was really tiny, smaller than the spider, holy shit, that would be the most frightening thing I could imagine would be a spider. So this tarantula is just chasing after him and it's uh it's really scary. It goes on for a full page, and they really try and stress how small he is compared to this. Eventually, he goes ahead and falls into an ant hill, where he just sees all of these ants just staring at him. And what I love is the is the inner monologue from Hank, where he's just like, "Ah, I might I might be better off with the spiders. At least uh, I'll probably shatter my legs if I fall down into this pit." But huh, he falls down what seems to be a large you know a large distance between the top of the ant hill and the bottom of the tunnel but he's like huh i don't believe it my legs somehow withstood the shock that's impossible he's starting to realize that he has like larger strength in his shrunken form than he thought he would he thought he would have his proportional human strength but he has an augmented strength because of how the pin particles work um the the next day you see that star has basically gone into the lab and he's seizing all of hank pym's stuff he bribed those guards that tried to kill him and now what he's going to do is he's going to go ahead and basically say that uh, all the copies of all the documents and stuff have been stolen because he has to basically come up with the reasons to why everything has been seized and where's Dr. Pym and what happened to the lab. So he's basically going to go ahead and uh, make it seem like Hank just ran off with all the research because he's gone crazy. So now we go to the next page and what we see is that uh, the ants are actually trying to kill him at this point. And as he's uh, running, he still has his inner monologue going where he's like, oh, man, like, I'm not crazy. Elias Starr sent those goons to kill me and probably arranged the mur- my wife's murder. A lot of that, a-, a lot of good that does me now with the impending death and all. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> if he sent security guards to beat me up, he probably did kill my wife. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah he-, he comes to that conclusion pretty fast. But he's doing this while he's running away. Luckily, he found a matchstick in there. And as the ants are getting close to him, he's able to ignite it against the side of the wall of the tunnel. And luckily, the ants are afraid of fire, so they, they start, like, moving away. But this is when, on the other side, they find another tunnel entrance, and the freaking tarantula is there, and it just looks like a giant Japanese <laughs> monster. And uh, at, at, this, at this point, this is one of those moments where it's just like, damn, Hank, you're doing some some good work right now. Because what he does is he's just like, fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and kill this thing. So what he does is he leaps out of the tunnel and like something out of Rick and Morty, he takes the matchstick and he stabs the spider in the head with it. And he's like, do you hear me? You hear me now? I won't give up. I can't fail. Not until Elias Star pays for his crimes and Maria is avenged. <laughs> And the spider's like, who the fuck's a light? What are you talking about? I'm just trying to eat. And you look delicious. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 is, a, it is a full pager right there. I freaking love it. The spider's just like, shit. It's kind of like when Pickle Rick killed that giant rat in the sewer. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is a that is a great comparison. Yeah. And if you've not seen First of all, if you haven't watched Rick and Morty, just get off your ass and watch it. Is, and I, I say this as someone who didn't watch Rick and Morty for years while people told me to watch Rick and Morty. And finally, of course, it took a, a beautiful woman. My wife got me to watch it. And I, I think we watched the whole series. And, well, it was only three seasons at the time. I've, I've since watched everything. But season one to three of Rick and Morty are just some of the best TV that has ever been made. Season four and five has some ups and downs. There's good and bad. But season one to three is like is pure fucking gold. Go watch it. Yeah. This episode sponsored by Rick and Morty. <laughs> so we're we're back at Egghead Industries and uh Warren Pym walks in and basically tells Bill that hey, uh I I'm told that Henry went crazy and he stole a bunch of shit and you might be also part of it. So, you know, we're we're a little bit suspicious. So what they basically end up doing is Henry is breaking back into the um uh into the lab as Tiny as Tiny Pym. Uh, you see those two guards that tried to kill him earlier. They're escorting uh, Bill Foster out of the labs because he's 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 knocked out now. I mean, he's he's out of it because he's oh. well, he's not knocked out like he, he's kicked out. He's been fired like Vamoose. They're getting rid of the only black guy in the entire industry. <laughs> um, the only black guy in the entire making people bigger and small, bigger and smaller. Yeah, industry. That, that's that's not very that's not very nice of them. So he leaves and Henry uh, jumps into a box of Bill Foster's personal belongings and he rides in his Prius. I don't know why they have to make him ride, drive a Prius. Um, I, I think a lot less of him now. But anyway, he drives home, and then when he gets out and puts his box on his uh, kitchen table, he sees Tiny Pim jump out, and he's like, what, Dr. Pim? And Henry is like, take a deep breath, Bill. I've been living proof our experiment works. I need you to step back. I'm going to employ this enlarging gas for the first time. So when he was in the lab, he went ahead and grabbed some shit. But long story. So do they do? Do you think because he keeps the same human strength that he keeps the same human voice, or do you think it really sounds like? I almost want it to sound like that. <laughs> I do too. But then you think it'd be really hard for him to hear. It's more comedic that way. Think pickle Rick. I agree. So basically, he takes this uh, this other gas compound and he drinks it or whatever does to it, and he goes from tiny Pim to giant Pim. And he's like, ah, it's functions as well as the shrinking counterpart. The next day he turns back into normal human size. And he's like, ah, you, you got anything to drink? I could use a stiff one. So for the next uh, page, he basically tells him everything. And uh, at this point, Bill is explaining what he's been told. He's like, you know, Star is telling everyone that you orchestrated, um, you know, the, the theft of the equipment and all the stuff and that you've had mental breakdown and you know, who's gone believe you because he's one of the foremost scientists. And it's like, you're also accusing him of murdering your, your wife. So basically, you know, Hank is trying to basically explain to him. It's like, dude, like all this happened and it's his fault. So they agree to work with each other. So that way they can go ahead and finish off the Ant-Man suit. So they go to, um, uh, another lab that I think is, is it somewhere probably in, in, a, in Bill's house or something. And they go ahead and they take Maria's helmet and create it. They also go ahead and create the actual Ant-Man suit. And what do you know? Now he actually looks like a superhero. So now what they're going to do is they're going to run experiments using the technology with the pin particles. I like how he's suddenly just ripped like his muscles. He's so fucking jacked. Like, I don't think that Hank Pym. So either Hank Pym worked out a lot and just didn't wear tight shirts before, or the suit has muscles built into it. Well, like there's there's only two possible. They, they must have had like a CrossFit gym at Egghead Industries while they were at it. <laughs> yeah maybe maybe a month passed and like him and bill got into amazing shape yeah together. like they had like a rocky montage 
like Rocky and Apollo. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Missing from this movie is the montage where they got in amazing shape. So running on the beach. So what ends up happening? Why, yeah. why has he got to be Apollo? Just because he's a black guy. Come on, Remzo. Rocky and Apollo is an iconic Hollywood film duo. Yeah, no, they're the best. The best. One of my favorite moments in all of movies is that last scene in Rocky Four. Is it Rocky Four? Yeah, it's Rocky Four, where they're like going to do their fight just for fun, and they're and they're and then they they do the freeze frame right as they're about to hit each other in the face, and we never really know how that fight worked out. I think they actually reference it in Creed, don't they? But I don't, I don't, I don't something remember something kind of like that mentioned who won it. Like I'll hold yeah, the bag anyway. for you, kid. Something like that. Yeah. So now they're experimenting with the prototype helmet and everything. And uh, as he's trying to control the minds of all these ants, it's not really working. So he's like, the antennas aren't working. Nothing's working. I'm surrounded by these ants. Like, I'm freaking out, dude. So we get another full page spread of him just panicking, running away from these ants. When finally what ends up happening is uh, he's able to go ahead and control one of them just in time. It's a flying ant. So he ends up like getting out of that situation. And then all he basically needs to do is just recalibrate the settings on the helmet and bam, he's control of an ant army. It's that simple. Just had to, you know, tune, tune into the right frequency. So the experiment works, everything is fine. They go back to the lab and he's just like, you know, this is, this is great. It works. And Bill Foster's like, ah, I'm not trying to organize these notes into something resembling a coherent report. And Hank is like, why bother? I have no intention of presenting my findings to anyone, dude. And Bill Foster's like, I, I, I don't understand. We're scientists, Hank. We have an obligation. And Hank is like, haven't you been listening, Bill? Elias Starr ordered Maria's murder. He cert- he's certainly behind the goons who tried to kill me. Besides, I'm not ever going to have, I'm, uh, I'm not and never have been employed by Egghead. I'm an independent contractor and I own everything I develop. And that's why Starr wants me dead. He's determined to steal my work. And Bill is just like, Still not with the program now. He's like, you, you can't be serious. I mean, he's still one of the most prominent, respected scientists. And Hank cuts him off again. He's like, sounds like a like a lot of other crooks were. Uh, sounds like a lot of crooks before they were exposed. Bernie made offering any bells. I'm gonna gather the evidence. I need to take him down. And Bill is still not with it. And he he has like, this is the only example of like bad artwork because when Bill looks at Hank go mini again. He just kind of has this weird look in his eyes where it's like, that's just not, that doesn't look like a person's face. You see, you see this panel? <laughs> yeah, I, I see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like he goes from normal to like that. He looks, he looks like an alien right now. It's just, it looks kind of wacky. Yeah. So he, he's looking at Hank going off and he's like, Hank, you may look like a comic book character, but playing masked vigilante will only get you hurt. And Hank is like, yeah, what did happen to his face? It's just, here? It's just <laughs> it's like wrong. A very strange panel. His eyes, though, I think it's the way his eye is. Like his eye is almost all the way like to the side of his yeah. eye. I don't know. So basically, uh, Hank is having a fun time flying on his riding ant back to the lab, and uh, you see him running around New York City. We have a little classic uh, Marilyn Monroe <laughs> moment where he flies oh, into yeah. this woman's dress, just flying through some. Skirts. Yeah, he's having yeah. some fun. But anyway, he gets back to Egghead Industries, and he goes ahead and flies into the lab. At this point, what he hears is that, um, you know, a a lot of the other documents are missing. So Egghead is freaking out at the two guards. He's like, you were given a simple assignment to secure Hank Pym's research, but you failed to acquire the formula for the shrinking and enlarging gases. Prepare yourselves. I believe Pym will eventually return to this facility. Find him and bring him to me safe and secured. So basically that compound that was needed to actually make the Pym particles operate, that's what Hank had taken earlier. That's how he's able to go ahead and finish the suit, which will allow him to shrink and grow as needed. 
So at this point, um, he's uh, he's still using the helmet to communicate with all the ants that are in the building. And what he does is like something out of a horror film. He communicates with them to go attack the guards. So as the guards are in this locker room getting their guns, you see the ants basically like crawl all over them. And it's it's actually pretty horrifying. And uh, Hank is just enjoying seeing these guys not get eaten alive, but just get covered and freak out. It's pretty cool. So now what we have is Bill Foster. He's trying to call. <laughs> it's, it's probably the most violent thing in this in this in this whole yeah. book. So Bill Foster's trying to call Hank because he still thinks that Hank is going crazy and that uh, he, he wants to stop him before something happens. But then what Hank does is he goes back to his regular size and he locks the guys in the room before going back down to a small size and just like tricking them. They, they do. I call it Ant-Man foo. That's the one thing I will credit the Ant-Man films for <laughs> is like they actually make the action of Ant-Man when he's jumping between small and large look pretty cool. And he's just finally getting his revenge on these guards. Yeah, that's the coolest thing Ant-Man does, I think. It's not just in the comics, but in the movies, too. And the way that's, that's visually portrayed is how he can quickly go from small to big, big to small, and use that to, you know, confuse and deflect the enemy. Yeah, and they make it, they, they, they pull it off here. It doesn't look as fluid, but this is probably the best example of Ant-Man foo that you'll, you'll probably see. Because Hank Pym's not really like a physical character unless he's Giant Man or Goliath or whatever, or one of his many names. But they actually pull this off pretty well. So now he, he's, he's gotten his chance to kick their asses, and now he's just straight up like punching this dude like Robert Pattinson's Batman repeatedly. And he's like, why did he, why, you know, he's talking about Star. Why did he order the hit on Maria Pym? Who did, who did he send to kill her? Was it you? Was it you? And at this point, the, the guy's like, uh, the boss had nothing to do with Maria's death. I'm telling you, he, he freaked out when he heard what happened. And Hank is like, liar. And the other guard is like, he, um, uh, believe what you want, but he's telling the truth. Everyone around here knew how Star felt about Mrs. Pym. And then Hank goes over to the guy and he's like, he used to follow her around like a lovesick teenager. You can't fake a thing like that. He blamed you for his death. Uh, he, bl- he blamed you for her death. Uh, for not protecting her. I figure that was the real reason he sucked us on you. And Hank is like, no, no. And right before he's about to go launch some like Dark Knight vengeance on this guy, uh, Warren walks into the locker room and he's like, what the hell is going on here? Henry, is that you, son? Why are you dressed up in that ridiculous outfit? And and Hank is like, hey, dad, I know what it looks like. And the guards are like, he's lost his mind, sir. He attacked us. So now at this point, Hank takes off the helmet and he's like, dad, I'm trying to force a a confession out of them. They know who murdered Maria. And Warren is like, everyone knows, son. The authority says that the terrorists did it. And Hank is like, the authorities are wrong. Elias Starr did it. He sent me, he sent those men to kill me and steal my research. So at this point, Warren is just like, son, you look crazy. You're talking crazy. You're dressed crazy. This is, this is ridiculous. And for a moment, Hank is like, maybe kind of considering that when he gets injected with this knockout serum and he turns around and he sees that it was bill foster who injected him and he's Amazing. like uh w- unbelievable when did you turn against me bill or have you always been there mole some say i'm paranoid i really thought i could trust you and then he falls down and passes out and egghead walks over he's like never doubt yourself dr foster you did the right thing so up until this point l- l- let's just discuss everything up to this moment I almost feel like this is the mo- this is the story that the movie should have been. So so let's go ahead and talk about things all up until this point. I feel like this is a much more linear, much more grounded, more action-packed story 
than what we got in the Scott Lang action movie. Right now, everything about this, from the drama to the subplots to the action to figuring out how everything works, in like the last, uh, you know, like 60 so pages, this is already a better Ant-Man story than the Ant-Man movie, at least in my opinion. Oh, I'll agree with that. I mean, it's, it's definitely a better origin story. Now, this is talking about a different Ant-Man, but I mean, as far as the Scott Lang Ant-Man goes in the MCU, I mean, he's really just this, which I think he is in, similarly in the comics. He's just this, you know, down in his luck, uh, you know, two-bit thief that, that gets this chance to, to be Ant-Man. And it wasn't really much of a compelling story. It's more like, oh, Paul Rudd, you're so charming and funny, so let's just not worry about the story too much. And I do find Paul Rudd charming and funny, so that's why I don't mind it that much. But in, in ter- certainly in terms of the story and in terms of an origin story, we really get to feel more for Hank Pym here and feel his pain, see his motivations, understand why he does what he does, more so than just, hey, hey guy, here's a suit. Yeah. So it'd be funny now. And, and I mean, with uh, with Bill Foster, I, I, I like um, I, I like the guy who played Morpheus, who played Bill Foster in Ant-Man, the Wasp. But I also feel like, you know, with him and Michael Douglas, you went ahead and just wasted two characters. Potentially, you have two great actors who are just really there for a supporting role. And I, I, I never appreciate that. I feel like if they had had a younger Hank Pym and then also brought in, uh, you know, uh, Bill Foster to eventually be goliath i think right now what you have is a much more compelling set of characters those are just my thoughts though yeah for sure i mean if they if they adapted this story with the same well they couldn't use you know michael douglas for for the young young hank pym but yeah point point remains definitely a better story so now what they have is they have hank tied up to this chair in a straitjacket, and they put a freaking hannibal lecter uh mask over his face and he's just he's just like stewing in his own anger. He's like, sure, I have issues. Who doesn't? I was only a child when my father tossed my mother to the curb, and his idea of bonding was to list the many ways I disappointed him. Seeing my wife murdered certainly didn't help my mental stability, nor did it improve when Elias Starr sent two goons to steal my work and shrink me to the size of an ant. Okay, okay, well, now now how about I think about it this way? Like, come on, maybe this is exactly where I need to be. So next, you know, Elias and the goons and Bill Foster and Warren walk over and Bill is like, I understand why Hank is still uh, uh, trussed up like that, Mr. Star. Why haven't we turned him over trust to the doctor by term. now? I've never heard the word trust before in this matter. Yeah, T-R-U-S-S-E-D. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Learn. See, I, I mean, I'm I'm making a joke, but it's actually not a joke. Like like reading comics is a good way to learn, like and, and to learn new words and to words. learn to read. Like so, for like most of the a lot. I mean, I'd read a lot of books too when I was a kid. I read a lot of like science fiction and stuff like that. But I don't know, probably seventy to eighty percent of the reading I did was in comics. But you do get big words. Not that this is a big word, but it's, I don't think it's a common use of a word. And yeah, it's fun to learn new things. I'm a 42 year old man and I just 41, whatever. And I just learned the word trust T R U S S E D. Look at that. Knowledge. Whatever. Education. The more, you know, so Egghead walks over holding Janet's helmet. I'm sorry. Maria's helmet. I'm jumping the marriage gun on there. He's holding Maria's helmet. And he's like, Henry's father and I have yet to call the psychiatrist, Dr. Foster. Rather than parade Dr. Pym past his co-workers, we've decided to wait until Egghead Innovations closed for the day. Um, and, you know, he's basically, like, gaslighting the whole situation because Hank knows that Egghead is responsible for all of this. And uh, while, while Bill and Warren are arguing about, like, Henry's future and everything else, you see Star walk back into the lab 
and now he's messing around with uh, the the Ant Man helmet. So eventually, what Henry is able to do is he's trying to Jack Bauer the situation. He flips the chair back. Why well, they have him like Hannibal Lecter? Hannibal Lecter up here. It's like it's a little over the top. Yeah, like you just have that hanging out the lab for a guy that has no physical ability. Yeah. <laughs> just in case we have a Hannibal Lecter suit. Just in case. So what they basically end up doing is um, he, he's able to build some type of weird psychic connection between him and the ants. That's just really unexplainable. So as he breaks the chair, the ants get up and they eat away at his. Yeah, that really is unexplainable. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't explain it either. They're just like, okay, he has that now. Um, but anyway, Maybe the they just remember him and they like him. They're like, they're like, hey, that's guy. That's the guy that was talking to us before. Like loyal like, oh, human. I, I imagine the ants talking like the little aliens from Toy Story. Human, good. <laughs> um, the claw. So uh, Egghead takes the helmet and he basically uses the, the technology to create his own version to fit his weird Egghead shaped head. And at this point, what he has is a bunch of wasps. And what he wants to do is he's taking these uh, yellow jacket hornets as well. Uh, all, all these like evil bugs who are not the ants. It's kind of like toy. St- it's kind of like you know, Bugs Life. The good bugs and the bad bugs. Basically, what he's going to use the bad bugs for is to go around like assassinating world leaders and stuff. This is more like the Yellow Jacket, Darren Cross villain motivation in the Ant Man movie, where he's basically going to use this new technology to go ahead and basically like destabilize the world. And uh, what we basically realize is that he's he's genuinely evil. He's so evil to demonstrate his new ability with the helmet is he uses all these hornets and shit to kill one of the guards just to show the other one that he means business. So we go to the next page and Bill Foster walks in and he sees the one guard in a pool of his own blood being eaten by these hornets. And he's like, Oh my God, Hank was right about you star. You're insane. And star looks back at him. He's like, that's your reaction. I expected more of a scientist from your stature, Dr. Foster. Aren't you the least impressed? Like I call myself Egghead. Of course I'm insane. I, I love this next part. He takes, a, he takes a cup of coffee and he swings it at, Egg's, at Egghead's uh, head. And he's like, damn you. And then what he does is he takes Hank's helmet, the one that Maria made, <laughs> and he runs off. And he's just like, I got to go get Hank out of here and start begging for forgiveness. So then what, yeah, you do. What, uh, what Star does is he takes some of the gas, the PIM gas, and he goes ahead and creates a giant yellow jacket. And while um, not? you know Hank is getting ready to escape, Bill is being chased by the giant yellow jacket. And luckily, because freaking Hank is an action hero now, he takes a part of a... What's more horrifying, the giant spider or the giant um, yellow jacket? The yellow jacket. I think I'm going to go yellow jacket. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, they're both they're both quite frightening. But I think between the fact that it can fly and has a giant stinger, I think the yellow jacket wins. That would horrify the shit out of me. But what's even crazier is that Hank takes like the leg of a table, he rips it off, and impales the yellow jacket through the heart. And everyone is just kind of staring, like, "Ah, uh, what just happened?" So Bill quickly apologizes and everything, and gives him the helmet. And before they're about to have their real Rocky and Apollo moment. You see a whole bunch of other of, of those yellow of those giant yellow jackets chasing them, like trying to stab people. So what Hank does to quickly save them is that he goes ahead and shrinks them down. And in, in this page, this is like page uh, seventy-five. They do that weird thing with the eyes where he's looking like dead at the reader, and like his eyes just look weird, kind of like Bill Foster's did uh, like a dozen pages <laughs> ago. 
Uh, it's just some of the weird like character anatomy he his head around, yeah. problems. It's just it's just kind of weird. So they shrink down. The giant wasps can't hear them. Luckily, the flying ant comes over and uh, saves Bill and Hank. They're still being chased. The next thing you know, they go through a window, and now these yellow jackets are just like taking over the city. It's it's pretty horrible, and they're going around like murdering people and stuff like this. It's not a good situation. Meanwhile, uh, Warren Pym gets back to the lab and he sees all the, you know, dead guard on the floor and everything. And he's like, what's happening, Elias? I heard screaming from my office, people shouting about monsters and the like. And that kid's like, I don't know what to say, Warren. Your son had a psychotic episode. He somehow managed to escape and murdered one of our security guards. Mr. Bukowski saw it happen. And the surviving guard is like, "Uh, yeah, guy was out of control. And at this point, you know, Warren is just still going with it. He's like, oh, my gosh, like he my killed son killed him with wasps. Yeah, he's like, he's capable, he's capable of murder now. Like, what the hell? So what ends up happening is um, Hank goes back to uh, Bill's lab. They're trying to repair the helmet and everything. And then what ends up happening is uh, Star has created a whole bunch of other giant bugs who have been tasked to go hunt down Bill and Hank. So you see these giant bugs crawling over the side of Bill's house and he and they're like, ah, we have a rather large pest problem. And and then as they're like tearing down the building and everything, what he decides to do is to do something different. He decides to go large instead of small. And now we see the giant man, Ant-Man, you know, he he gets up and he just starts like murdering these bugs. And the cops are coming by and they're just like, "Uh, how are we going to take him down? And Bill is like, don't overstrain yourself, man. Uh, like, don't, don't, don't think about trying to stop, stop him right now. And I mean, the cops at this point, uh, as Hank is, uh, getting down to a normal size, they try and get around him and they're about to arrest him. But Hank is just like, you know, I'm not going to do this. So he shrinks down to the size of an ant and escapes while they go ahead and temporarily arrest Bill Foster. Uh, Hank gets back to the lab where, um, you know, uh, everyone is trying to basically decide like, what do we do if Hank Pym, do we call the cops? Do we sue him? Like, what do we do? Uh, meanwhile, uh, Hank basically uses the ants to write on the office wall of his dad's office, Pim Innocent Star Murderer. And then what he has the ants do is like get together in like a bunch of like arrows to point to a section of the wall. And what's telling everyone to do is to go to the lab to see what Elias Star is doing. So basically, um, everyone is starting to realize that Star has something to do with these giant bugs attacking the city. And what he does is he shrinks down using the pin particles in his helmet, and he starts riding a yellow jacket. But around the time that he's about to escape, Hank Pym and his army of flying ants are there too. So now they're getting into like this midair bug on bug fight scene, which is just so much cooler than the like toy room Ant Man yellow jacket fight in the movie. I would have loved to have seen this on the actual screen. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really dig the yellow jacket in in the Ant Man film. It seemed like a very generic, like, I'm just the bad guy version of Ant-Man. Um, but uh, this this version, this egghead is writing the Jello Jacket version, I think would have been a lot more entertaining. Yeah. So basically, uh, what ends up happening is they're fighting, and Hank Pym is trying to also understand the root of Elias's problems and everything, and why he's so evil. And, and what it comes down to is that um, Star starts yelling at him, and he's like, I'm a visionary. I'm a creator of jobs, technologies, innovation. You are the o- you are only a temporary annoyance at best, a tool to be used and discarded. And Ant-Man is like, is that how you view Maria? Is that why you stole her tech and ordered her death? 
And, and uh, Egghead gets actually pretty defensive about that. He's like, don't mention her name. It sickens me to hear it on your lips. And he's like, so it is true. You were in love with her. Uh, meanwhile, everyone is just trying to get out of the building because now the giant uh, yellow jacket versus flying ant storm has just broken out into a giant plague. I, I, I mean, this will look so cool on screen. Um, meanwhile, uh, what, what he basically explains is that the bomb wasn't meant for Maria. It was meant to actually kill Hank. So Maria just happened to, um, uh, to, to be the unintended target of it. And, uh, Egghead's basically saying, if I could have just gotten rid of you, she would have obviously fallen in love with me and look at all the amazing things we could have yeah. done. Look at me. Look at my giant egghead. Of course she'd fall for me. Yeah. So what ends up happening is um, they both grow super big and they're still yelling and fighting. And now what you have is these two giant people fighting each other. They, they just completely crush through the roof of the building. And now what you have is a giant kaiju fight, like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. So as they're still fighting and everything, what ends up happening is um, they, they shrink back down quickly as uh, more people are getting aware of what's going on, more cops are going or are coming by. And what ends up happening is they shrink down to a normal size and Egghead grabs a security guard's gun. And before he's about to go ahead and shoot Hank Pym, he's like, oh, look, everyone, he's looking to his employees. He's like, he attacked me. He's trying to kill me. I have to take him out before he tries to do anything. He turns around, this fires guy. the gun at Hank, but what ends what up is happening he, the LAPD? is... <laughs> what ends up happening is that uh as he shoots the gun warren pym quickly jumps out to protect hank and warren warren pym is shot through the heart what ends up happening is hank just loses his shit and runs over and starts completely beating the ever-loving crap out of egghead and then what he does is he takes his helmet that, and the, starts yeah. smacking with it too and he's like give me my wife's helmet right. and go directly yeah, to hell awesome. It's awesome. No words, just ass kicking. There's more action than you ever really expect from an Ant Man story. But basically, he yeah. he he, uh, he beats up Star, and as the cops are arresting him and everything, Bill rushes over to Warren Pym, and uh, Warren Pym died immediately from the gunshot wound. And he's like, "I'm sorry, Hank. He's gone." So Egghead starts taunting him even more as Hank is like pouring out tears. And he's like, such a pity. No deathbed reconciliation. No final touching moment. You've lost everything, Henry. And my lawyers will probably get me off with a slap on the wrist. Do you keep that? Uh, do keep that in mind when we meet next. And Bill is like, just ignore him, Hank. Justice will be served. And Hank is like, will it, Bill? According to Edmund Burke. And this is a random thing to kind of throw in here. According to Edmund Burke. All that is necessary for, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I, I'm through waiting for others to act, sitting on the sidelines. Justice can always depend. And as he shrinks down, he, 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 he jumps on his flying ant and he flies away. He's like, justice can always depend on the Ant-Man. And then it ends with the end for now. And that's the end of the story. I love this book even still. Yeah, it was really good. I can't say there's any other good Ant-Man story. This is the only Ant-Man story I like, and I can read it over and over and over again, and it's fun, it's full of action, the story makes sense, it's not watered down. If you're ever wanting to get on the ground level of Ant-Man lore and everything, Ant-Man Season 1 brings it. So, yeah. Want to jump into ratings? Let's do it. Let's do it to it. Um, Start with the writing, like I said. 
Tom DeFalco, old reliable, probably never going to completely blow you away. And you're probably never going to say, oh, my God, this is the most amazing story I've ever read. Uh, this is an all timer. Tom DeFalco is probably never going to give you an all timer, but he is going to give you a solid story at all times. And this was a pretty solid story. Quite, quite above average, I would say. And I, I really did enjoy it. Um, it, it this, this thing is 100 pages and it, and it flies by. Uh, I'm going to give the writing a solid four. The art I thought was pretty good. A little, you know, sometimes a little too cartoonish for me, I think at times, but it did seem to fit the story pretty well. I'm going to give the art a 3.5. That brings me to a Mark Claire total of 7.5 for this one. Solid Sunday read, Ramsey. Yeah, I, I can't get too different from that. I'm going to give the story a four as well, because for Ant-Man, you don't think you're going to get compelling mystery, intrigue, conspiracy, and adventure uh, all in the same book. But, I mean, I, maybe that's the strength of doing an original graphic novel instead of a monthly series. So I, I think um, giving this a four, it, it's just, uh, it, it's it's very well deserved and for the art i'm not gonna do a 3.5 i'm gonna do a three because there are some really good moments and then there are some really kind of shitty moments i brought up the whole like thing with the faces when they try and turn their heads and stuff they just don't look human i I don't know if it was a lack of skill or i just don't appreciate the art style i think there are a ton of artists that could have done a better job with this uh i won't give a 3.5 but i won't go lower than a three i'm giving it a three for my total score of a seven out of ten so that brings us to a 14.5 out of 20 a very solid sunday higher than you on this by a by a smidge by a smudge by a smidge pretty much the same though yeah i mean this was uh this is an enjoyable story it's i I really like it as an origin story and you know it, it actually gives you at least for me like i never have really associated much personality with hank pym that's probably just because i haven't read a ton of stories that where he was featured uh and now this gives me a little more of like okay now i understand this character's motivations now i understand you know how this character got here or at least in this in this new canon if you choose to accept it i choose to accept it because it's, it's a pretty good story even yeah. though bill foster is not bill marvel is not blue marvel no <laughs> you, you got your token black characters mixed up <laughs> uh but i mean i also like the fact that they brought they, they brought uh bill foster in this i mean uh him as goliath was a cool avenger i i really was disappointed when they killed him in uh civil war issue four when they had a the robot version of thor named ragnarok like blow a hole in his chest with a bolt of lightning that was kind of fucked up and sadly they have not brought back black goliath since they made his son the new Black Goliath. He starred as the as one of the key characters in a um, damage control series, but he was quickly forgotten. I, I like the fact that they brought uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, that's his name, Lawrence Fishburne, as Bill Foster in the MCU, but they make him older, they make him more akin to the name, to the, to the age of uh, Michael Douglas's Hank Pym. They make him kind of a bad guy by making him a uh, ghost in that film. And for all intents and purposes, I don't think that he's been cast as a character to return in quantum mania with ant-man and the wasp so there's i've always liked the the character of bill foster i just feel like they haven't done him well and that's my criticism of a lot of the ant-man characters i don't like paul rudd's aunt uh, scott lang i don't like michael douglas's hank pym i don't like evangeline lily's hope van dyne conglomerate the only person i'll say i did a good job is michelle pfeiffer's janet van dyne but she says like two words and just manages to still look hot in her 60s so you know i i think if they had gone with something like this if they had gone maybe with even edgar wright's uh vision of an ant-man film even with scott lang who i still think is a great ant-man character um you know if they had just done something more akin to this story as simple as it may have been 
it, it would have it would have been less messy and all over the place and weird and quirky. I mean, there were laughs in here, but it was never like a deliberate slapstick comedy like they made the Ant Man films. Yeah, I concur. Well, that's all she wrote, Mark. That's all I have. That is all she wrote. And if you want to hear more of what she wrote, I don't know. I'm trying to tie this in somehow. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Again, tons of bonus content over there. Moon Knight recaps soon, pretty soon. There will be Obi-Wan recaps. I'll be doing with my friend Dan Smots of The System is Down. Uh, Doctor Strange review. Every MCU movie, every really comic book movie ends up, ends up getting reviewed in some way, shape, or form. And of course, amazing shows like Remzo versus the MCU. What Mark missed. So much content back there. There might even be more, more bonus content than regular content. I'm not sure. Well, as always, folks, remember... If there's one thing you can do, it is this. It's read comics and change the world. And change the world. Good night, America. Adios. Adios.